Well, okay, so hey, we, this is the same sheet I gave you last week, or last month, sorry. Uh, and uh, that's because we really only got about halfway through this. And this is kind of wrapping up what we've been studying for a little over a year is what you would call, uh, well, if we were in seminary, we'd call it uh, biblical anthropology or theological anthropology or what that means is what is the Bible doctrine of humanity? What, what is a human being and all of that? <clears throat> and so we've kind of gone from creation, gone through creation, fall, and redemption, how, all about what it, what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God and how that plays in, through the whole story. And then for several sessions, we focused on Jesus. And you can see the statement at the top of your handout here. Jesus is the sole case of fully realized humanity up until now. uh, The rest of us are what you could call uh, fallen or broken human beings. So if you study us, you can learn a lot about what it means to be a human being, but you're, it's sort of like studying a bad case <laughs> where Jesus is perfect humanity. So we thought about what does it mean? And this is a little unusual because typically in uh, evangelical church like us, you would, you'd tend to focus on the, on the deity of Christ, the fact that he's fully God because that's the thing we have to fight the world with the world over, you know, so we end up focusing a lot of attention on that. But it's very useful to think about what what is Jesus in his humanity? What does it teach us about what it is to be a human? For me, the simple fact that eternal God can be incarnate as a man means there must be much more to being a man than we think. Like, that that's even possible is quite remarkable. Uh, Anyway, that's all what we've already talked about. And, but at the end, I wanted to come back to, so what's the impact of all this in, like, life? You know, uh, what is it we're, what is the Christian life in light of this? And so last time we noticed that since Jesus is the one and only case of a fully realized human being, and Jesus said, follow me, well, following him is the key to our humanity as well. And then we made some observations about that, like, this might say, I might adopt a, uh, an idea of following Jesus that's a little bit too simple. That is like, well, the sort of what would Jesus do approach, taking Jesus as just a moral example. So I, well, I ask myself, what would Jesus do in my situation? And then I do that. <clears throat> that has a lot of problems. Uh, one key problem is, How do I know what Jesus would do in my situation? That's not a simple question. Um, And 
then we, we could observe Jesus did live a perfectly moral life. Uh, so that's as good an example as we could find, but we're not in a position to actually follow that example. Even if we figured out what Jesus would do in this or that situation, we would find ourselves frequently unable to do it. So in my mind, that sort of approach is a little too easy, a little too simple. It's sort of like learning to play golf and imagining that you could become a great golfer by asking yourself the question, what would Tiger Woods do? <laughs> and then trying to do that. Well, you, you're not going to find a better example of a great golfer, but first of all, you're not going to be able to figure out what it is he's doing that turns out so fantastic. And second of all, if you did figure it out, you wouldn't be able to do it anyway. So we go back to the, where we started, which Jesus is an example of perfect humanity. And I'm an example of broken humanity. So this human is not going to operate at this level, even if he figures out what's happening. So I need a better idea of what it means to follow uh, that... Uh, yeah, and I think, well, I just want to drive it a little deeper. I want to think about Jesus as a whole person, not just as an actor. But what's his inner life? And we see this, we've been looking at it in the book of John on Sundays, where, well, his inner life, he was always walking in total communion with the Father, right? So he, he always had this spiritual connection that empowered and directed him. The scripture says about Jesus in the book of John that the Father gave him the spirit without measure, like above and beyond. Uh, and so there's the power and direction of the spirit operating in the human Jesus uh, in complete cooperation. It's hard to describe how complete it is. Uh, and so Jesus' visible life is a reflection of his spiritual life. His fellowship with the Father, which we have come to know by the term likeness. And uh, because of his uh, comprehensive fellowship with the Father, he always walks... In, he is bearing his, the Father's image in everything that he does. Uh, he always walks uh, by faith. He's trusting the Father, the Father's provision, the Father's direction, the Father's uh, motivation. And then he exhibits the Father's love to everyone around him. In our case, it's the same way. Our fellowship with the Father, which has been purchased for us by the cross, right? We're, we're united to God in Christ. And this becomes a reality in anyone by the Spirit. The Spirit opens my eyes to see Christ. This is all the same 
kind of operation. Now in us, it's still not fully realized. But this is what we mean when we say follow Jesus. We mean to walk by faith and then to exhibit grace. Uh, the heart of this is our trusting God in Christ. And that trusting God in Christ is generated, empowered by the work of the Spirit in a person. So this shifts tension, attention away from me and to Christ. My, my attention is always on him and resting in his grace. I become... Uh, enabled. Uh, so, all of that, that's what we talked about last time, but now to uh, move on, how to be human. <laughs> how to be human. New life, in, and these are key phrases, in the Son, by the Spirit. It, my new life is in Christ, by the Spirit. Uh, I, I have experienced, by the work of the Spirit, a union with Christ. And uh, it's walking in that, by the power of the Spirit, that I start to realize really what it is to be a human, like God intended. Uh, so this is not rule following, though it certainly has rules that I do follow. Uh, but if I, if I try to follow those rules, they, they break me down, they kill me. I, it, 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 I can go so far and then I run out of gas or I run into one of those rules that I just don't have it in me, you know? Uh, so it's not rule following. It's not example following though. I do follow the example of Jesus. Jesus provides a perfect example to follow. I can even follow, the scripture tells me to follow other people's examples, not just Jesus. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And the implication of that is, if I follow Paul as he follows Christ, other people could follow me as I follow Paul as I follow Christ. You know, there's a the basic nature of leadership in the life of the church is one of example. Uh, but that's not the thing itself. And I will find, just like if I try to follow the rules, they'll break me. If I try to follow the example, it will break me too. So this is about new life. It's about an inner transformation. And what we have in Christ is a restoration of that reconciled, that likeness that bears the image. Uh, it's a transformation of our very person. The Bible calls us new creations. Uh, so God is re, well, resurrecting us really is what it boils down to, into uh, our full humanity. Now, we can read about some of the aspects of this 
of course, all over the New Testament. The first place I wanted to start was Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, where Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy mercies of God, to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, discern, we could say, what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is a description of the transformation that should be expected in the life of a believer, someone who... uh, pays attention to the good news in view of God's mercies, he starts with here. This this exhortation wouldn't even be appropriate for someone who had no idea of God's mercies. <clears throat> and he says, uh, by that, then you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice. It's funny, in the Greek it says, present your bodies a sacrifice, living. <laughs> Uh, present your bodies a sacrifice, living and what? What's the other word? I forgot. And holy. Uh, and this is the this is like the real Christian religion, if you will. It's this presentation of oneself in response to God's grace. And it's simple question of who do you belong to? And what Paul's saying is. If you can belong to God, you are a fool if you don't. Uh, If if God has demonstrated this reconciling work, which all, all of Romans is all about how the cross reconciles us to God by faith and we're justified and having been justified, we're reconciled. And that is like the, the thing itself. And so now he's saying, look, if you're reconciled to God and you keep yourself to yourself, what are you, an idiot? You can have new life in Christ if you let God have you. So let God have you. And then he says, this is just your spiritual service is the way this translation goes. Some translations say reasonable service. And this is because in the Greek of that time, reasonable and spiritual were synonyms. Logical and spiritual go together. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so if you were a Greek, spiritual things are the rational things. Yeah, we're, we're in our world today, spiritual almost means magical. That isn't the case in, when in the, here. Paul is saying spiritual is, well, it's the only reasonable thing for you to do. You know, so if, you had, if we gaze on God's mercies, we will be moved in this direction. In view of God's mercy, present your body a living sacrifice. And then he says, and don't be conformed to this world. So we're going to reject the way the world operates. The world operates on a system of uh, personal effort 
and merit. Uh, how, do I, how do I find personal improvement? Well, I read the book, right book, I do the right, I go to the right gym, I do all the right stuff and I become my best self. And Paul's saying, well, you know, that'll get you where that gets you. Nothing wrong with that, really. But if you think that's the key to you discovering what it means to be a human being, it will miss. You'll just be a really good, broken human being. <laughs> okay, well, if you're a broken human being, have at it. But if you're a Christian, there's more. And so you can say, be transformed. Notice it does not say, transform yourself. That's very important. It says, be transformed. Again, we're submitting ourselves to the transforming work of God. Who's transforming you? Not you. But there's a commandment here, which is, be transformed. So you give in to this. <laughs> you let him transform you, how does that happen? By the renewing of your mind. It's a full-on change of worldview, of understanding of what it means to be a human, what it means, to, what, what the world is around us, why we're here, all these things. Lifelong project. And then he says, then you'll know what God wants. Well, this is exactly how, how Jesus describes his own life, isn't it? He always does what the Father is doing. He always knows it, and then he always carries it. He, he walks in likeness and so bears image. He's always in perfect sync with the Father. And Paul is telling you, here's how you get in sync with the Father. You focus your attention on the grace of God, the mercies of God, all of Romans 1 through 11, you focus your attention on Christ, you hand yourself over, and you reject the way of the world as your way, and you let God transform you by the renewing of your mind. So you're going to need to change your thinking, we're back to in view of God's mercies. In my mind, that means you learn God's word. Like that's like the thing I can kind of focus on. I, where do I see Christ? Two, two spots here and here. In the life of the church and in the scripture, the word. And those two things together the sharing life together in the community of the body. We're going to say more about that. And I better talk faster or we'll never get there. <clears throat> so I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. And then I, then I see God's will. It says I'll be able to prove what the will of God is. And then there's a key expression at the end. That which is good and pleasing and perfect. My problem as a fallen human being is sometimes I hear about the will of God and it doesn't sound good. It doesn't please me. And I don't find it perfect. 
And this is saying, look, when you really understand the will of God, you see that it's good. And it, it's not just what pleases God, it pleases you too. Because you've been transformed. Your thinking has changed. God's will, you now trust. And now it's your will. And this is, of course, is how Jesus operated all the time. You know, it, Jesus didn't have any conflict over this like we do. Well, he did have some conflict over it, right? But not like we do. <laughs> it, you know, he did say, if there's any other way, and then he said, but what really pleases me ultimately is whatever pleases you. Not my will, but yours. So this is us following Jesus in exactly that way. Then, he, then uh, I wanted to look at chapter 6 of Romans. Back up the page a few. This is the spot where Paul says, so and now that we all understand grace... Like you can't out-sin it. <laughs> if you sin, God's got grace beyond measure. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. And then he says, I know what you're thinking now. So, if should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Uh, to me, what's most fascinating about what Paul where Paul goes with that question is he doesn't go back to follow the rules. He doesn't say the rules are the rules. It is weird because normally in church, that's what we do. <laughs> that's what we do. No, you better not. You have to do X, Y, Z. And human beings are incurably religious, and I want you to just tell me what the rules are, and I'll follow them. <laughs> Paul doesn't do that. He sort of doubles on doubles down on grace in this text. Uh, he says, "Well, that makes no sense at all, because you died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, so you have a whole new life." which means you have the opportunity to follow Christ and do right. Now, why do you want to sin? That's kind of his question. The, the opportunity to obey is now live and present and real for you. So wouldn't you, of course, want to do that? I was having a conversation with Malcolm yesterday and we were talking about, it's kind of funny that Malcolm and I were talking about the commandment, husbands love your wives. But <clears throat> we were talking about that. And I, I think, why does that have to be a commandment? On the day you got married, did you think you were ever going to have a problem loving that woman? <coughs> now you might have, you might have, wondered if that could happen but that day it didn't that possibility of course you're going to love her you just do so why does paul have to say in the middle of the book of ephesians of all places husbands love your wives why is there a commandment not to commit adultery 
Like nobody, the day they got married, thought, I wonder how soon I can commit adultery. Uh, no, they, you were like, your heart was whole, but you can't keep that going. So there's a commandment. How do we... It's so frustrating. We, these commandments, they, they just break us. Or Well, we're already broken, so we can't make it happen. Well, in Ephesians, or in Romans 6, Paul's saying, look, you have... You were actually in union with Christ. You were on the cross. You died in Christ with Christ. And you were raised when he was raised to walk in, this is the expression, in newness of life. There's a whole new you now because you have been brought to faith by the work of the Spirit. So now... You have a choice like you didn't have before. And he says, what's, what's the key? <laughs> Yield to God. Don't submit yourself to sin because sin is not your king anymore. You don't live in the kingdom of sin anymore. You live in the kingdom of God. So... It's a question of deciding who or what you are submitting yourself to. That is not work harder to obey. That is one simple decision to say, I, I'm, I'm not letting sin have me. I'm letting God have me. And I, he says, present yourselves to God as an instrument. I just want to, you to hear likeness and image in the word instrument of God. That's just what Jesus did. His whole life, he saw himself as a simple instrument of God. And Paul's saying, now, because you're united to Christ, you can live that way as well. So submit yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness Refuse yourself to sin. Another way of saying that is refuse yourself to yourself. <clears throat> refuse yourself to sin as an instrument of sin. Uh, so this is all about which thing or person you will belong to. Same, it's kind of the same as he says in Romans 12. In uh, Ephesians 2, he says about this, says it like this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were just like the rest of the world. And then he says in verse 3, I think, but God, because of his great love for us, made us alive again together with Christ. So we are participants in the resurrection if we have been if we've come to faith in Christ. <clears throat> and uh, so he said, we're made alive. And then, man, he goes on this famous verse, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And he says at the end of that sentence, for we are his workmanship. We are his, the Greek word is poema, his, uh, like you could call it a work of art. This is that same recreation motif. God is making us again. And who's doing this? We are his workmanship, created in Christ. For, you know the word, right? Good works. Which he has prepared already. He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I read that text and I think, well, so what is there for me to do? Not much, not nothing, except to walk in the good works he's already had got in mind for me. Do I have to strive and struggle? Well, sometimes there will be some suffering in these good works. Uh, How do I know what they are? Well, I go back to Romans 12 and I say, well, I submit to him. I participate in the process of this transforming process of renewing of the mind, of the life of the church in the word of God. And over time, in practice, I just know what they are. I know this is the right thing to do. I know this is God's direction in my life. And of course, it's not like the spirit is just sitting there doing nothing. So I develop a sense. I will be able to discern what God's will is. I'm developing what the scripture calls the mind of Christ. Oh. That's like a whole new thing. Uh, And so I'm his workmanship. I'm a participant in the resurrection. One thing I want to make sure you see is that that, if you are in Christ, that is already true about you. Now, you will experience it in a more revolutionary way in the future. But the way the Bible talks about this is When Christ was raised, so were you. That is a big deal. That means you are not the same person you were. Or Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. One of the things it's hard for us to get as a Christian is how much has already changed and who uh, my identity has has been fundamentally changed, transformed, well, brought to life in Christ. And one of the main things is trying to remember that. <laughs> you know, just remember that. That's not that that sinner guy. That's not who I am anymore, unless I lapse. Ah, now, next thing. (laughs) Sorry, this is too slow. 
to see the glory of God in Christ, uh, this, this uh, text in 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 3, is the text that uh, is really about the Spirit's role in all of this. That human beings in our unredeemed condition, we're blind to the glory of God in the person of Christ. And the, it, it's the Spirit that works in us to remove that blindness so we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then we come to Christ. That's <laughs> essentially what happens. So again, this is the practice of the Christian life is to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And this has a transforming effect on me. In uh, Romans 5 and Ephesians 3, Romans 5 is the text where it says, so since we've been justified this way, we're reconciled, we have standing. I just read this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. An unbeliever, a sinner, cannot rejoice in the glory of God. The glory of God is deadly to that person. But a person who's in Christ rejoices in that as a hope. Sorry, I can't help preaching this stuff when I come across it. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope, again, are we reading the life of Jesus in that text? Because it is there. Tribulation, perseverance, proven character, hope. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Uh, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How do I experience the love of God? The Spirit of God in me. And then he says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. (laughs) Well, perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, still against him, Christ died for us. So we have the testimony of God's love in the spirit, the demonstration of God's love in the cross. This is all about, do you know the love of God? Uh, And when a person has come to Christ and been justified by faith and reconciled, having peace now with God instead of being God's enemy, all of these things become real. God demonstrates his love. So, uh, we know the love of God in Christ. Ephesians 3, this is that prayer I just love, my favorite text in the whole Bible maybe, where Paul says, I never stop praying for you. What does he pray for? What is it that we really need in the church? What is it that Christians really need that the apostle says he's always praying for? 
I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that means a lot, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Oh, okay, so what's he asking for? Strength. Strength. And how does he deliver this strength? By the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. So that, oh, so it wasn't just so that we would be strong. He's not saying what you really need is strength. He's saying you need strength so that you'll have something else. What is that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So my, if Paul's prayer is answered, my heart will be filled with Christ and trust in God in Christ. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able... <laughs> okay, so we're going to be strengthened to be able... What? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth length, height, and depth. This, again, is about comprehension, and it's about the transforming of the renewing of the mind that you'll explore all there is to explore about what? To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. So here I'm imagined to know something that is beyond knowable. That surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's, there's more to it than knowledge, but you need to know it. There, it's deeper than you can ever find. You will never get to the bottom of it. But that's the. But you want to dig into it as much as you can, as far as you can. And you are not strong for the task. So what Paul asks for is for us to be strong enough to really begin to get it about God's love. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Everyone here, if I said God loves you, we'd say, well, yeah. Yeah, right. I know. No, you don't. I mean, you do, but you don't. <laughs> you, you know God loves you, yeah. But one of the key elements, if we're going to talk about our new life in Christ, is, oh my goodness, explore the unexplorable love of God. Dig in. Look harder at the cross. Uh, see, I mean, think of it. That, that's really it. Think of it. Think of it. Think again of it. Think more, harder, deeper, exploring it. And then this kind of all brings us down. Oh, I got to skip over some of this. The next thing is to, that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's the thing. God is going to make you like Christ. For sure. And that verse we quote all the time, 
all things work together for the good of those who love Christ, called according to his purpose. I want to ask the question, what exactly is good? What does he mean when he says, for the good? Here's what, uh, here's what we typically think, something I will like. If he's doing it for my good, I'm going to like it. You're not going to like it at first. It's not that you'll be richer, live longer, healthier. None of that stuff we typically think of as good. Here's what it is. (laughs) Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If I ask the question, what is the best thing God could do for you? That is the answer. It's not happy life. It's conformed to the image of Christ. Which may, at times, not be that happy. But always will be deeply joyful. Jesus wasn't happy to be dying on the cross. But he was there for joy's sake. We are out of our depth, guys. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is real humanity that you see displayed in Christ and what God is going to build into us. The last thing I want to talk about here is the idea of the new society and the new man. And we talk about this a lot here, around here. In the book of Ephesians, there's one new man. Yeah, Malcolm. Yeah, before you move on to the next one, one thing I got just now is that to explore, to grasp that digging deeper, it requires that renewal of the mind. Because as we renew our mind, then we're able to dig deeper Pro- and further. embrace it. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing it like right. a circle. Right. It's sort of like, well, what can you see from here? And if you move in a little deeper, then it's a new, what can I see from here, right? Now I'm seeing a bit more. And this last part about, about the life in the community of Christ is also essential in that. Because it's about, hey, take a gander at this. So I see something and I share it with you. And we're all doing that. This isn't just the pastor job. This is everyone. We're all doing that. And we don't do it, we don't all do it by studying and explaining the word. Some of us do it by, well, building plumbing. That's how some of us do it. We're expressing the. The, We're experts at that. Bring yeah. <laughs> Jackhammering concrete is an, wow. is a display of the love of Christ when it's in the community of Christ, and we see that joyful service. To me, what it was such a blessing to just walk through over there because I didn't really do any work, but thought to just walk through and see all the happy serving going on and the fellowship of it was just it's just beautiful 
And it's a display of exactly what we're talking about. You, and you, you weren't there when I was jackhammering that floor. Was there? We <laughs> had. <laughs> was there some? Maybe not was there a little swearing going on in there? Maybe there was no joyful. swearing. Was there? No swearing, but it was not joyful. <laughs> I didn't hear myself swearing. But here's what I know about you, Walt. It was. It, it might not have been happy, but you were happy to do it. Well, and I, I, yeah. I, I'm confident. I know it. When we uh, were dumb, you said, "Not right." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and you could provide something the rest of us need. And this is just a simple display of love, right? There's a sacrifice, and it's an expression of uh, grace. Uh, so but it's interesting that it isn't just. And it, like you were saying, it's circular, mm -hmm. it, but it's not an individual effort of circularity where mm -hmm. you're just mining in deeper, deeper in your own mind. Yeah. It's the community together, rounding that out, that makes it really yeah. special. You only get so far in your own head. Right. And that's, that's uh, explicit in the text of Scripture is one of the things. If you, we're going to stop, but... If you look up these texts, you'll see in Ephesians, for example, there's a, there's a vision of one new man, not a bunch of new men. And the one new man is the body of Christ together. And so our conformity to Christ, our following of Christ, is, a, is inherently collective. Right there in Romans 12.1, there's just the strangest thing. It says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, you, plural, brothers, plural, to present, plural. That in, in Greek, verbs have number. <laughs> so to present is a plural verb. You, P, you, plural, brothers, plural, present, plural, your bodies, plural. So it's envisioning a group of people, a living sacrifice, singular. I just think, oh, oh, so this is something I need you for and you need me for. It's something we do together. And part of the demonstration of the of the image of God is a demonstration of the fact that God himself is a plurality. He's one God of persons in relation to one another. There's, there's an eternal fellowship in the very nature of God. And so in the human creation, which is designed to be a simple reflection of that, there's an inherent fellowship. This is why there is such a thing as marriage. But the, there's an inherent fellowship. There's a society, a community. And the church is that new community, that new creation. The new man is what Ephesians calls it. One new man. And if you read Ephesians 4... <clears throat> He says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints 
plural, and for the work of service to the building. What is the saint, the work of service for? The building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of Man, to a mature man. Till we all attain to one mature man. Uh, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How do, how do I exhibit Christ-likeness? I'm following Christ. I'm growing and become, being transformed, becoming more like Christ. You should be able to observe that in any Christian's life, in them alone. But how do we reflect the, the whole character of Christ? Only together. Only together. Our Christ-likeness is a, is a collective reality that is exhibited in the body of Christ, not even primarily in the individual Christian. There's a lot here. Uh, uh, and uh, I encourage you to read all these texts and rethink through this again. For me, one of the things I want to try to remember out of all this is, oh, this is... This is to be a human being is a big deal. So often in the church and Christian teaching, we're, too, we're worried about people thinking too much of themselves. You know, like you got to remember you're a sinner kind of thing. Like people, people will say, oh, oh, people are basically good and we'll want to argue with that. The Bible says people are basically not good. And at all that's fine. But I also want us to remember the biblical idea of what it means to be a human being is actually much, much, much higher than the world's idea of what it means to be a human being. The world's idea of what it means to be a human being is a human being is just a really good gorilla. Really smart primate. <laughs> Wow, that is unbearably low. And the biblical idea of what it is to be a human being is above our comprehension. Uh, and so I, it's fine if we, if we say don't think too much of people, but I also want us to say, oh, and you're not thinking people are as big a deal as they are. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's, let's stop there. <laughs> Any, uh, questions, comments? I think we ought to go back over this next time again. It's too deep. <laughs> For just one pass. Well, I don't remember specifically what is on the agenda next time, but it's something very closely related to this. And it is, I think the last lesson in this series and if, uh, if this lesson is a predictor, we won't get through that whole thing in one shot either. You, you and Malcolm had a, a good thing going, uh, and you quoted a scripture 
uh, I can't even say it verbatim, but it says, Husbands, love your wives. But my question is, why did he not say, Wives, love your husband? He didn't tell him that. He told the husbands to love their wives, but husbands respect, I mean, wives respect your husband. So uh -huh. there's a difference between man and woman. There is, yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, this would be like one whole lesson all by itself, Bob, but uh, I'll try to give you a short version. Uh, both what he says to the wife and what he says to the husbands, uh, wow, look right here, I'm in, in Ephesians, right? As we speak, he says uh, before that, don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. He's just telling the church how to be the church. And he says this, and be subject or submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your own husbands. Oh, so this wife thing is just an example of the thing above. Wives to your own husbands. And in the translation we add, be subject, because it's implicit. For the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. As the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, so now what's he going to tell the husbands? How they are to be subject to one another as husbands. Love your wives. So <laughs> when the Bible says husbands love your wives, it is telling you, husband, how to be subject to your wife. Now, it's different. These, it's not the same. And it's love your wife as Christ loves the church. Oh, good luck with that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was, as I was saying to Malcolm yesterday, so who should be sitting on the couch and who should be bringing that person another beer? <laughs> Easy. The husband should be serving the wife. Uh, okay, yeah, so we are out of our league, Bob, are we not? Like, I'm always uh, uh, Yeah, but this is that mutual love. And you certainly wouldn't say to a husband, it's okay to disrespect your wife. Oh, that, that is not okay. That is not loving. And so while the word uses the word love in connection with the husband and the word submit in connection with the wife, uh, we're just talking about two different ways of exhibiting the love. And in this model, the husband's way is to, is to play the role of Christ in relation to the church as he relates to his wife. And the role of the wife is to play the role of the church 
in relation to Christ when she's relating to her husband. And those aren't the same, but uh, they're more the same than we often preach. Um, that's, that's very misunderstood. I believe so. Uh, I, and by the way, the main point of this whole text is your marriage is a, is a little model of Christ in the church. If you want to know why you have a wife, it's not so that you can be happy. It's so that you can put Christ on display. <laughs> also, greatly misunderstood. And, and without understanding some level of Christ and the church, you can't understand the relationship he's being described by. No. And this goes back to the garden. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created in his image, man, male and female, he created them. Right. And at the end of chapter two, this is why husbands leave their fathers and mothers and cling to their wives. Mm -hmm. the, the institution of marriage in the garden is about, from the very get-go, about the demonstration of the relationship between God and his people. It's to be a little model so that it makes God visible in the world. It's image bearing. It makes the eternal fellowship of the triune God visible in the human family. It's a much bigger deal than you thought when you got married. <laughs> <laughs> Had we known. In fact, it's, uh, it's probably a bigger deal than you figured out since then, too. So, that's all we got. Oh, better, better. Love your wife. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thanks for your love uh, so clearly demonstrated in Christ, poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. Lord, we uh, want to submit ourselves to you, follow you, uh, exhibit your love in our relationships with each other, in the church, in our families, in the world around us. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful in these things, even when we are not. And uh, you will see to it that uh, all of us and each of us will be transformed into the image of your Son, by your uh, great and glorious grace. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.